This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Michelle Densmore returns to the Metaphysical Connection to talk about stress and weight gain, seasonal adjustment disorder, and her philosophy for a better gym experience. Be sure to check her out on her blog and updates from her website, lucky13fitness.com. All this and more on the Metaphysical Connection for October 13th, 2018. So, Michelle, you are a, a, a returning guest to the podcast, and um, uh, it was so great having you on the first time, and every time I turn around, um, a, a couple people would ask me, when am I going to have you on again? When, when, you, when are you coming back on the podcast? Uh, and I called you, and I was having an issue yesterday um, due to stress and overeating and all like that. Happens um, to the best of us. I know. And I, I, I think that's where I wanted to um, start the show is I wanted to ask you, do you know anything about the psychology or in overeating? Why do people overeat when they're stressed? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on the show. I'm super excited to be here and I really enjoyed our first um, podcast together. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to be back. Um, yeah, overeating and stress, they are definitely what I would say inextricably intertwined. And there are many, many studies and there's lots of research that will go into very, very deep detail around how and why that happens. Um, and so, you know, that is for the purpose of, you know, the listeners and, you know, just for the general public, what we need to know is that there is a very strong correlation between being stressed and overeating. And and if I can simplify it, really what we do is when we're stressed, we are in a state of sort of emotional imbalance, if you will. Um, maybe our, our sad or our mad outweighs the happy or, you know, there are things that we need to get done in life that we feel like we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough resources to get them done. And we become emotionally imbalanced with our stress. And when that happens, often we turn to food to feed, if you will, the emotional void and try to fill it with food rather than getting back into an emotionally balanced state. No, I think it makes absolutely, totally perfect sense. And I was listening to um, Joe Rogan, of all people, and he was talking about mm -hmm. um, what happens um, to us on a metabolic level. And it has a lot to do with the fact that when we're in times of, of, of stress, that sets off something like a chemical reaction in our in our yeah. brains and our cells saying we're in a stressful period right now there's something awful that is about to happen and it sets off something in our brains right down to our cells that say absolutely there's something happening something awful has happened we we know de deep down in the deep programming in our DNA that usually stress like this, and I use air quotes when I say this, usually leads to a famine. Does that, right. does that have, does that make any sense to you? It does. And, you know, I think you said it was Joe Rogan that said it. He's, he's spot on. So what he's referring to is what we know as the fight or flight sort of response. And when we have stress in our in our lives, now we all know that, we, you know, we all have a certain amount of stress. I'm not saying we're, we should try to live a life that's stress-free because that just doesn't exist. Um, but when we go into a more detailed stress or the stress is high, acute stress, if you will, something happens, you get in a car accident or you lose your job or 
you know, somebody sick in your family or any acute stress, um, it sends signals from the brain to the hormonal system and we release what we call cortisol, which is a stress response hormone. And that's what, you know, kind of turns on a fight or flight. And it does go back to the way we were wired way back when, where, yeah, there was famine. You know, if there was this level of stress, there was the fear of famine, um, <clears throat> your very existence or your very life may be threatened. And so an analogy that I like to use is pretend you're at the ATM and you're facing the ATM and all of a sudden you feel somebody put their hand on your back and they cover your mouth. Immediately, you have cortisol that rushes through your body. You get that fight or flight response and you kind of get that, you know, weak in the knees feeling really, really um, taken aback by what's happened. Then you turn around and you realize it's your best friend and they're just putting, pulling a prank on you. Well, the cortisol realizes that the stressful situation you know, is, is not real and it packs up all that cortisol and it puts it back and you do not have to worry about fighting or flighting because you realize that the stress is not real. So that's an example of how quickly our body can turn on and off that response. The trouble happens is when we are in consistent elevated stress. So it's like having that cortisol rush through your body 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And some people have this happen for decades in their life. So they're just walking through life with an elevated amount of stress. And that's where you see the link between elevated stress, elevated cortisol, decreased sleep, your metabolism gets messed up, you have an increased appetite, and there's a whole domino effect of what happens as it relates to your health and fitness um, once you're in that consistent state of stress. I think that that's absolutely totally amazing how we live in a time now. I mean, I don't think that we've ever had a more educated public i might i might be wrong everybody these days has a degree of some kind but um we don't have a lot of college courses out there that you're required to take that i know of, of about stress relief as a matter of fact i took one uh the last the last time i was in college i took a course on uh, stress relief in, in lieu of taking, you know, phys ed or something like that. And it was and the professor had said that this is actually like a, 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 a pilot program. Uh, it's like one of the first of its kind. And we were kind of like shrugging our shoulders. How come we're not teaching this to young people more often is and we don't seem to realize that there's a correlation between constantly being stressed out with overeating and maybe even cancer. Is there anything to that that uh, high stress levels also leads to like disease and cancer that you know of? Yes, I do. And I, I want to address the point that you talk about where, you know, our society really is lacking in educating and giving a foundation or a curriculum to our young people who turn into our adults about how to manage stress. If you really think about what our society values, we almost value being stressed. I mean, I've heard people so often say, well, oh, you work 40 hours a week. Oh, well, I work 80 hours a week. Like working so much and being so stressed is a sign of success in some twisted way. And, you know, we're, we're teaching our children that in order to be successful, they have to, you know, go to college, get a higher education, get a job that pays well and, you know, have the things like the nice house with the, with the big yard and the car and the boat and the vacation home. 
And all of that requires money, which requires hard work, which obviously is going to, you know, cause some level of stress. And we expect these things out of people, but we don't teach them how to manage it. So I find that often the people that have acquired some of the most material wealth often have the hardest time relaxing enough or de-stressing enough to use the things that they've accumulated because they simply don't know how. Um, as it relates to, you know, things like cancer or there's a big link with Alzheimer's, it's absolutely there that there's a correlation. I mean, there are studies that have showed um, levels of stress leading to metabolic syndrome or heart disease or um, Alzheimer's. There are so many things that affect the brain and that, affect, you know, then affect other systems of the body where they're completely, in my, in my opinion, avoidable if we just have more consciousness of how to mitigate and manage our stress from a younger age going forward, for sure. So that should be part of our curriculum. You can't get a degree. You should not be able to get a degree until you have something in stress management, I think. But I mean, but look at me. I, I, I took a course in stress management. And the thing is, is that when life turned up the heat, it's sort of like it went right out the window. And I just right. thought, I just thought to myself, you know what, when I get home, I'll, I'll, I'll do an extra 10 minutes on the treadmill after eating this burger and fries. And it, it's, it, yeah. it's so, it's so easy to, to lapse. Another thing that um, I wanted to uh, address before we move on to another point that I, I wanted to um, talk to you about. Um, what do you think about the links between stress and cancer and disease? In terms of the validity to that? Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are, like I said, you'll find research out there that's linking stress to almost every, you know, unfortunate and horrific condition that you can think of, especially cancer. <laughs> Excuse me. And, I, you know, I think that where stress triggers hormones, you're always going to find certain cancers that are related to hormones that are out of whack. And in another way that we find this is we're noticing a lot of cancers now around hormones um, where I believe the origin originated was we're now pumping our animals full of hormones to make the cows produce more milk and, you know, things of that nature. And now all of a sudden we're seeing um, not only kids becoming, you know, entering puberty early, but now we're all of a sudden seeing so many more cancers pop up with such prevalence that are all hormonally related. So we see the strong link there between a malfunction in the hormones and misfiring in the hormones and cancer. So the, the same occurs with high levels of stress. Like I said, continued stress and stress that is outside the realm of what's healthy. When that happens to a person for a lifetime, um, they're at risk for obesity, they're at risk for cancer, they're, it raises the risk for everything. So. I think the literature is there. Um, we can't say one thing definitely causes another. There's not a causation, but there's a correlation to say that, you know, if you have high stress for a lifetime, you are more likely going to develop cancer. I think that there are plenty of research studies out there that, you know, that would support that. Um, and I think that that should be a big eye opener to our society. Um, and to try to mitigate and manage that is, is a big key because it can be, it can be deterred. Um, I know you wanted to move on into another subject, but a, a point that I wanted to yeah, respond to that you just said was um, in terms of graduating from college or even high school with a degree and making a requirement, you know, a stress management course, I totally agree with that. And I would even say that it can be started much, much younger. So, you know, my son, Chase. I do. We... Um, he's 20 months old, so he's going to be two, not, not too long from now. And my wife is really good with grounding techniques. In her practice as a massage therapist, 
She's, you know, she's very well versed in grounding techniques, which you can also call kind of stress management and stress reduction. She now has our 20-month-old on, able to, when he is starting to come undone and cry and have a fit, she'll look at him and say, Chase, I want you to take a deep breath, and he'll take a big inhalation through his nose and exhale through his mouth, and he's able to calm himself and reset himself. And then when we talk about what it is that he would like and you know, what the problem is. So it's just an example out of my own life where I'm thinking, man, we can start teaching this to people when they're one to two years old and imagine the successes we would have if we actually start started practicing the stress management techniques then, then it wouldn't just be one, you know, passing class in college where you gave the example of taking that class, but still it's not ingrained in you as a habit, yeah. as, a, as a natural response to stress. And I think that's really the point we need to get to, to see some real huge change. I would like your wife to teach my wife that technique because she has three boys <laughs> that needs to learn that. She, you know, she has, she has a boy who's uh, 14, a boy who's 16 and a boy who's 48. So I think that <laughs> we joke about that a lot. But um, I, I just, it's, uh, and it, it's sort of like we wear our stress as a medal. It, it is, it's like, look at yep. me, I'm so proud of myself. I'm stressed out all the time. And it was just like, oh, you think you have it bad. Um, and I think that uh, it's, uh, it's an epidemic and it's something that we, it's, it's a sickness. It's a mental illness that we have in, 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 the, in the Western hemisphere and maybe even the Eastern hemisphere too. I'm not, I'm not all that sure. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is, uh, the changes that occur, uh, in, um, when it, it, from summer to autumn. And of course, the Mm -hmm. first thing, the first thing that comes to mind is, is not just the changing of the leaves, but the, the changes in the seasonal aisle in your local grocery store. And they have these huge bags of, of, of fun size candy. And I, 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 and I said to my wife, it's not fun size if you eat the whole bag. <laughs> is, is this really the worst time of year for weight loss and trying to maintain a, a, a healthy weight and a healthy lifestyle because of the extra added temptations? Or, or, or is, it, is it just like every other season of the year because you have other temptations around Christmas and New Year's and Valentine's Day and Easter? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a it's a great topic, and I, <clears throat> you know, as I sit here on an almost eighty degree day in in Boston, I am hard pressed to really think about the holidays. But <clears throat> I, the way that I always view it is, it is the most, it's a perceived most difficult time of the year for fitness and and weight loss and things like that. It doesn't mean it's actually true. And to directly answer your question, I think it's different for everybody. Perhaps some people have the hardest time around Valentine's Day or they're big St. Patrick's Day, you know, celebrators or they, you know, love a barbecue over the summer. But I think the holidays, there's something about the season, you know, on the date of Halloween and and, and arguably before, as you're saying, the stores fill up with candy for Halloween ahead of that. Um, But I always say it's six weeks from the day of Halloween through New Year's. It is six weeks of mayhem and madness, and that is where, if I if I was a betting person, that is where I would bet that most people fall off in the course of a calendar year. And I can point out a couple of reasons why. The first is that, it's a, again, it's the perception of what does our society talk about around the holidays? Yes, there's merriment and parties and gatherings and presents, but there's also, to relate back to what we were just speaking about, it's, it's the holidays. It's the most stressful time of the year. I've got to get my turkey. I've got to plan my dinner menu. I've got to, 
attend all of these parties and gatherings and there's not enough time and I've got to shop and get my presents. And there is this looming stress around the holidays that accompanies, you know, the happiness and the joy of it. So it's kind of this interesting dichotomy that we're doing all of these things to be happier, to be more joyous, but it almost feels like they, they cause us more stress. So again, we just touched upon that. We're higher stress, you know, we, we emotionally eat. The other piece is that there's almost been given unspoken and definitely, you know, outright spoken, you know, a permission for everybody to go overboard in the holiday season. And it's expected and it's expected that on January 1st, we'll all pay penance for our sins and commit to renew. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it's almost like everybody's off the hook for the last six weeks. Yeah. And it's quite unfortunate because, you know, around Thanksgiving, everybody's job is to eat until they can't do anything but plop on the couch. And it just, it, it really doesn't have to be that way. Um, but I think we've so ingrained that into our society, into our minds, that you almost feel like you didn't have a good Thanksgiving if you didn't have five plates of food. So there really needs to be a reauthoring of what the holidays mean for people, what they're looking to get out of it. And in my opinion, really placing the focus on spending quality time with loved ones, family, friends, maybe doing some charitable acts of kindness and just enjoying a moment and being mindful of just having an experience beyond what's on your plate. Um, because I can't remember what was on my plate last Thanksgiving, you know, how much turkey I had, how much pie I had, but I remember spending time with family. I remember playing board games after dinner with, you know, our good friends. So that really is the stuff that counts and you don't have to go overboard to do that. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I do think that there is you have to get into the mindset whereas why yes it's colder you still have to go out and you you still have to exercise you still have to go to the gym because we all know what's going to happen you know come december january february you're going to want to go to the gym but you won't because the roads will be impassable we know that that's happening so now mm -hmm. is now's not the time to you know take it easy quit or or whatever and or you know throttle back a little bit um there's also i don't know what the name of this is you probably know it better than i do uh, somebody very close to me somebody you and i both know very well um she sometimes suffers from a condition Whereas with limited sunlight during winter, she slips into a depression, not a severe depression, mm -hmm. but it's it's noticeable. Um, and she pretty much she knows that it's happening um, when it's happening. But with the other people who slip into this depression during the changes of the seasons, what's your advice to these people? And what is that phenomenon called? So what you're referring to is called seasonal affective disorder and or SAD for short. And I think it's kind of tongue in cheek that the acronym is SAD because that's what end up, that's what most people end up feeling, you know, sort of sad, this dysthymic feeling, not like themselves. The things that usually make them happy and excited don't really anymore. Everything's just kind of dull. It's like a, it's a, it's a dull sort of depressed, as you mentioned. And this is, I think historically it had been sort of poo-pooed as, oh, this is nothing real, but it, it, it has been validated. Um, it is, it is in the DSM. Um, diagnostic criteria, and it, it is validated by mental health practitioners. Um, <clears throat> I do believe it's a real diagnosable condition, and it is one that happens. Michelle, I think I'm losing you. While I try and reconnect with Michelle Dunsmore over the phone, let me remind you that you can support the show by shopping at our Zazzle page. 
Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles, where you can find plenty of products with our logos and slogos from the Fedora Chronicles and the Metaphysical Connection. 12% of all sales go directly back into keeping our podcast on the air. If you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast or you have a topic you would like us to cover, drop me a line via eric at metaphysicalpodcast.com and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Fedora Chronicle. You can learn more about Michelle and the work that she does by going to her website, lucky13fitness.com. Hello. Don't you love it when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> My phone went completely berserk. I had to shut it off and turn it back on again. Oh, it's totally okay. So we're talking about um, we're talking about sad. Talking about yes. seasonal seasonal the affective disorder. It, it happens when we are exposed to less light during the day and therefore less vitamin D. So it does have an effect in the in the you know the, the makeup of some people's biochemistry. And not everyone is affected, and not everyone is affected equally. But when somebody is affected, vitamin D is a you know a supplement is a very um, reasonable way to sort of help offset that. But as you were mentioning, it it can wreak havoc on people. People do not want to leave their home. They don't want to do the things that one day, you know, we're excited to do on a daily basis. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people end up feeling like they have the winter doldrums. Yeah. Well, it's because they do. I, I mean, it, exactly, it, it, yeah. it's just, it, they, you know, SAD, S-A-D is just the name for the winter doldrums. Um, it's more scientific. Um, what about broad spectrum light? Does that do anything uh, to help people out? Is, or um, or do you, or do you just need to take um, vitamin D supplements? The the light's also a good suggestion. We actually have a blue light at our house, and we have a timer. So if we are looking to wake at five, we'll set the timer to on the on the blue light to slowly come on because it's awful bright um, for about ten minutes from like you know five o'clock to five ten. And it gently wakes you up and simulates what it would be like to get up in the light of the summer versus having to wake up in the pitch black of um, of the middle of the winter. And light therapy has really been beneficial for many people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder. So, yes, actually, both of those modalities work. I know some people who have success with both um, or one or the other, but whatever makes the person feel like they're sort of coming out of that funk is, you know, then you know that's the right modality. That's, yeah, that's that's terrific. I, th- I, I think I, I think. I I know what I'm getting her for Christmas this year. <laughs> I bet you know it's like I, I better cover my bases because it's like she might be expecting jewelry. You never know. You ne- right. you you never know. What news items are exciting you, or new discoveries in the world of health and fitness are exciting you right now? Well, something I've really been um, keeping my pulse on is the rise and well, the change I should say, really, in in sort of the industry and the change away from a big box gym. Um, it interested me quite a bit because I used to work at a big box gym. It's where I got my training career started. Um, and it's you know, it's your run of the mill typical health like a YMCA or Lifetime Fitness or, you know, 24-hour fitness, any of those, where you get a little bit of everything, you have a membership, and you, you know, swipe your key at the front. Um, what I've been reading and hearing a lot from industry, you know, know-it-all, is that this is sort of the, the dying piece of the fitness field, and where people are going to actually be shifting their focus and their time and attention is into specified different, um, you know, boutique studios, if you will. So there are people who love to cycle that are really focusing on going to cycling studios. There are people that are into boxing who are, you know, frequenting boxing studios and there are people more people now going to you know training studios for their strength training as opposed to big box gyms 
And the reason I find it so fascinating is because it's almost like the fitness industry is naturally responding to the fact that people need, despite where we're going with technology in this world, people still need and they still value relationships with others. Um, in a world where, you know, we can, we've been closer than ever with social media and, you know, electronics and smartphones, we really are disconnected from one another. When we walk into a big box club, we don't say hi to anybody and we just go do our own workout. There's no relationship building there. There's no um, sort of camaraderie or there's no help and support around one another in reaching your goals. Yes. Um, I actually just today finished writing the first draft of my book. And in it, I address a bit about, you know, why the typical path of joining a gym really is not successful for a lot of people. And one of the key points is that, you know, what a typical gym or health club does not do is check in on you when you haven't been in in a while or, you know, keep you accountable to do the things you set out to do in the first place. And so while I'm not excited to see any part of the fitness industry totally die, I do welcome this metamorphosis and this change because I think people need to frequent the places where they're not only having access to equipment and to fitness classes or programs, but access to one another and access to people and relationships because the enrichment of their lives is really where they're going to get the better benefit. I mean, people can do squats anywhere. They can do them in their living room or they can do them in the gym. But the, the totality of what they receive from sharing, you know, faith and relationships with people in these more boutique settings is going to far surpass the, the results that they get from doing squats but installed everything. Let me interject here and say, um, as a quasi-commercial, as it were, for Lucky 13, you and Marcus really care. The two of you actually care. Uh, like the like, we hadn't seen each other in, I guess, like a couple of weeks, and you gave us a big, huge hug when you saw us at the door. Mm-hmm. Marcus takes the time to ask everybody what's going on, and he's serious. He wants mm-hmm. to know... Almost every important intimate detail or fact that's going on in your life. And there's usually, there's no more than four of us in any one session, but he takes the time to ask, Hey, what's going on? And it was like, we, Carol and I had a, had a hardship this summer and he actually took the time to talk to Carol about it and talk to myself. Carol's Carol and I are going through Carol's got some aches and pains. I got some aches and pains. They're different. He took the time with each of us to say, hey, what's going on? And it's like, that's missing in a lot of other gyms. There's just, you show up to to these big box gyms. You go in, you go out. You might have some friends at the gym, but you don't have like somebody who is a... I'm not sure what what Marcus's role is, what you know, um, personal trainer or whatever. But it's very rare that you actually have somebody who takes the time, and that's one of the reasons why. Hey, that's we've got to go when we have an appointment. It's painful if we have to cancel. We always want to go. We want to get up at six o'clock in the morning and go to the gym for an eight o'clock appointment that's an hour away. We, you know, right. we, we want to see the other people. We have the Facebook group um, and we, and we, we talk almost all the, at least once or twice a day. And it was like, right. I, you caught on to something. Uh, is that something, is, is this a, a business model that you picked up from somebody else? Or did you just wake up one morning and say, Hey, I got it. I got the missing piece. Yeah, it's well, I don't think of it as a business model rather than just the way that I believe that humans need to be. I mean, the, the basis of human nature is to love and be loved, right? That's yep. the human condition. 
people crave relationships. People crave, you know, friendship and someone to care about them. And uh, many of us may be guarded in the beginning and we try to have others believe that they don't need anybody. But the truth is we all do, whether or not we realize it. Um, and I really think that this model that I've created for Lucky 13 comes from my, you know, my work as a social worker and understanding that no matter what someone's story is or their history is or where they've been before, no matter where they want to be, no one's going to go at it alone. I mean, I, I've worked with some severe, severe trauma cases where a person might have been in the mental health system for decades upon decades. But if one person makes an iota of difference in that person's life, it can change the entire trajectory. And that's pretty powerful. So, you know, it, I'm not using it in the same capacity that I did in my clinical work, but it's the same principle that applies, that if you develop real relationship and you actually care about people, then it's going to build something that, you know, no electronic app or no, um, you know, cookie cutter gym is ever going to be able to compete with. Because, like I said, people want real relationship. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who uses technology. I, I know I need to, but I'm not overly excited about the hyper technology mindset that our country has right now. In fact, I'm you know I'm a little bit crazy when it comes to my son, and we're not doing any screen time with him until he's two. And even then, I'm I'm petrified yeah. because it, you know, it really does. There's a lot of studies you know talking about research to do damage on the brain there or inhibit social interaction. So no, it's it's not been a conscious business model choice for me. It's right. just been. If I was going to attend a studio, where would I want to go and how would I want to be treated? And also for myself as, you know, as a business owner and as a coach is how am I going to do this the best that I can? How can I help people the best that I can? And it's to offer them, you know, a safe and friendly environment. You know, I, I get it. Not everybody loves to work out. You know, I did a, I did a, a video about this today. People love the outcome. They're in love with the outcome of 25 pounds weight loss, but they're never going to be in love with the outcome of what they have to do along the way to get there. They may like it. So if it's already a process that's not people's favorite thing, at least make it fun and enjoyable and some active community for them to be able to continue on and reach their goals. This is going to, this sounds like a crazy question, but the thing is, how can you make exercising more fun? I, I, I have my answers, but you're the professional. You're the guest. You go first. <laughs> So I, I encourage people to think outside the box. You know, they, as researching bodies and, and scientists, say that 30 minutes of exercise three times per week is the minimum if you want to see change and you want to benefit your overall health. And that's everything from weight loss to improving cholesterol or blood pressure or A1B or things like that. So many people hear that and they think, oh, I think go to the gym three times a week and use these machines that I don't understand. But I encourage people to do the simple. Go for a walk. Walk with your spouse. Walk with your kids. Walk with your dog. You know, walk with a coworker at lunch. Try to make it fit in your already busy life as best as you can. Be passionate about golf. Go play around the golf and carry your club. Walk the court. Do you like basketball? Find a rec league or a pickup league and join that. You know, there are a million different meetups and there's meetups or, you know, kind of pickup leagues around different sports. So if you really try and think about what your interests are, what your passions are, and, you know, follow that, you can almost always sort of incorporate activity or movement around that. It can be as simple as changing a habit from getting together with your friends every week for a drink and a meal to getting together with your friends to go for a hike instead and catching up that way. You're including movement versus maybe some unwanted extra calories. So there's there's always ways to get it done when you think outside of the box of traditionally getting into a gym necessarily three times. 
I think one of the things is that that's also important. The the big part that you had just mentioned, I think I I think you said this in various different ways. More than once, don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, have do it with people that you actually enjoy being with. Um, exactly. You know, like Carol and I. I think one of the best parts of best parts of my day is when we get to go out and and exercise. Um, so it, what is there anything else that is going on in, in the in the realm of health that um that that you need to talk about and get off your chest? Well, I you know there there's so much out there and each topic really does deserve its own, you know, full attention, but I guess something that I always want to tap on in terms of a message about about fitness is for people to just try as best they can to create a sense of balance. I think so much out there in the media, in magazines, on TV, what we see related to fitness, these offerings are completely imbalanced and extreme on purpose to really capture people's attention and make them think that they can do a quick fix app. And the truth is, it's, just, it's not going to work. Um, a lot of these things go to extreme measures. They're imbalanced and they're never going to work for the long term. So, a message that I always like to pass along to people is try a more balanced approach because it will be less painful. It will be more likely that you can do it consistently and it will be safer and more enjoyable than something that is completely out of balance and in extreme. So that's my, that's my piece of advice is when, when reading or consuming or searching for anything in the fitness industry, you know, whether it's just for your own knowledge um, expansion or you're looking to develop a fitness program for yourself, ask yourself the question, does this feel like a balanced approach? for me and if the answer is yes then go for it and if the answer is no run in the other direction <laughs> yeah uh one of the things i also wanted to get back to you on we talked about screen time for uh for 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 children um mm-hmm. if the, and, t- and let me let me know if this if this is too personal or or, or anything um do do you have like movie nights with uh, with your son and your wife um we don't i mean we like i said we have kept him screen time free um with the exception of facetiming with family members and looking at pictures on the phone um he's never watched tv he in in a very desperate moment on vacation once we showed him a video of his favorite band playing a you know child's kid song Mm -hmm. but you know we we purposefully put him in environments where he has as many books as he wants he has as many toys as he wants. He has access to music, which he loves. And we don't, you know, we just don't place a high value on, on screen time for any of us. You know, my wife and I will get home from work at night and maybe we'll watch one episode of a chopped um, cooking show or, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll catch a half an hour of the news. But neither one of us are people that really watch much TV. I mean, there's a joke about me running as long as I've been alive that, you know, if I have three hours set aside free time, you're lucky if I'm in a still and I'm probably going to pick something else to do beside a movie. You know, I'm not a big movie person. Right. So we just, we don't really do it. And I know that as he approaches two, you know, that's the time where our doctor has said that it's going to be okay for him to have some educational screen time. But the big driving point there is that it needs to be supervised. Yeah. So I think a lot of people just throw their kid in front of the TV and use it as a babysitter. Whereas we plan on really having conversation with him and using the television or the screen as a, as a teacher for colors and shapes and numbers and, and kind of wrapping an educational curriculum around it and manage it for him, you know? Yeah. I had uh, a writer, um, I'm, I'm a part-time Lyft driver when I'm not recording mm-hmm. podcasts and doing websites and whatnot. Um, and I, I picked up a, a passenger, um, I, I, Neil, um, 
and he's he's a somewhat famous educator mm-hmm. and, and i don't know if i if i if, if it's cool to give out his his full name cuz i want to respect his privacy when i got to the destination he and i talked for about 10 or 15 minutes about his concern about the state of education here in the United States and the, and the rest of the Western world. And he, he is looking for solutions to give to other parents on how to uh, turn kids on to science uh-huh. and learning and, and STEM. How do you get kids hooked into STEM? Now, not everybody is destined for college. Not everybody is going to be an astrophysicist. Uh, but how do you hook the kids up who are wired who do have that predisposition for stem and keep them focused how do you get kids turned on and i Mm -hmm. said how i got my kids turned on to learning and math and science we got rid of cable Mm -hmm. and we make it a point i I, and if i'm if i'm beating a dead horse you know i'm 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 sorry um but we make a point to watch a, a documentary as a family once a week, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Pick one night. We are watching a documentary, and we're going to learn something together. And, of course, then my kids get all these ideas, and I, I, I want to do this. I want to get do that. I got, I, got, mm-hmm. I got one kid. Every time I turn around, and he's he's on YouTube, He's he'll, I'll catch him watching a funny animal uh cute cartoon or some kind of like kittens doing funny things um but it's usually like a how-to mm-hmm. and it was just like but the, the the trick is is that you have to monitor it you have to sort of like yeah watch them keep an eye on what they're on what they're watching watch their keep an eye on their browser history to you know to make sure that when they're young keep an eye on what they're watching and don't leave them alone with the tv <laughs> exactly yeah i think a lot of people use the tv as a babysitter and you know they're at the right age you know your your boys are a lot older than my son so at the right age i think different types of screen time or tv or movies or what have you can be so beneficial and expose them to you know potential areas of interest for their career or hobbies but what you're saying is is key is that it has to be used as part of almost an educational curriculum or a tool to educate the child or learn a great it's not about watching, you know, something that, that has nothing to do with anything they might learn or become interested in. So I, I think there's a, you know, there's a big difference, but not a lot of people are paying attention to that difference at all. Another thing that had come up, and I'm thinking, do I really want, do I want to save this for the next time I have you on? Or should I talk, we should, should we talk about it now? Um, cold what's and flu that? season is coming. Uh, what's that? What what are, what's new in in cold and flu prevention? Most importantly, cold and flu prevention. Mm, yeah. Well, there's there's a lot. I mean, depending on who you are and what your beliefs are, you may be getting a you know a flu shot. You may be trying to go with a you know a more natural alternative. Um, you might be using things like elderberry syrup or um, you know different sorts of essential oils to use cold and flu prevention. I think my thing is wash your hands. You know, yeah. wash your hands and, and don't share food or drink with anybody because I mean the passing of germs just happens so easily that um, we we don't need to help ourselves get the flu by, by sharing a, a cup or a drink with somebody. So um, keeping your hands clean and, and you know keeping your drink to yourself are my big are my big takeaways. Yes, abs- absolutely. Although I I don't know how that's possible because, of course, 
Um, sometimes my wife or my kids will ask me, taste this. Does this taste funny mm-hmm. to you? Is this bad? Is this spoiled? Right, <laughs> what right. Am, what it am happens. I? We can't, we can't be 100% cold soup. I know that. What, what, am I, what am I? The family guinea pig? <laughs> you know? I guess so. <laughs> I must be. So I think that... Um, now, one, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. You have introduced some products at the gym. Um, yeah. do you want to, do you want to end the show and, and talk about that real quickly? Sure. Um, so I was introduced to Aniva Nutraceuticals, um, a while ago by a friend of mine um, named Justin Newell, who knows the owners and the CEOs personally. It's been a long time. I've been in the fitness industry for a decade. And my belief is that people need to eat real food. That, uh, you know, whole, wholesome, real food, fresh food diet is the best way to go. And I still believe that. I always will believe that as the first, you know, foundational level. But I searched high and low to um, to find a bunch of products that were subpar at that um, to help supplement the little holes that are inevitably created by our life. You know, I've had many clients approach me and ask, hey, I can't get green veggies in every single day when I'm traveling or I'm on the road or it's hard for me to get a lot of protein in when I spend my day in the car. Um, all these little micro holes that pop up in our nutritional profile um, can be filled by the right kind of supplements or vitamins. And that's what I found with Aniva. So they have really taken a lot of time and effort, put a lot of research into their product. And they're backed by science, which is one of the biggest things for me. They've had research studies performed, and they have a line of products that really does help people sort of fill those small holes in their nutrition to have better outcomes. Um, and I think that when used in conjunction with a primarily whole real food diet, I think Aniva is a fantastic way for people to supplement in the most appropriate sense of the word um, their nutrition. I think it, and obviously we're going to have a link to, um, on the main page of our website. So you know, Michelle, it's it's always great talking to you. I I'm, I'm always happy to see you. I'm always whenever you call, it's like the highlight of my day. Um, likewise, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you. And again, I I really want to thank you. I'm I'm so thrilled and honored um, to be on the podcast, and it's been so much fun. I will come back anytime. Oh, that's great because <laughs> I I have to pick your brain about some other other. Uh, uh, things that I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you next time when we when the next show we we, we do. I, w- I want to I want to talk about uh, health food myths and 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 get your help in de- debunking some health food myths. That'll be a lot of fun. I look forward to that one. All right. So thank you again for coming on. It's my pleasure. Until next time. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. You can be a part of the metaphysical connection between shows by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook by going to our metaphysical connection group and following us on Twitter at physics laxative. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. 
find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. This is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on.